I love that, uh, that last song. Of course, it's a wonderful psalm, meant to be sung. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Doesn't that bring you peace? Wow, it brings me such great peace. You know, the scriptures tell us that he leads us beside still waters. That's a place of rest and peace, isn't it? That, that's our Jesus, and he's awesome. Father, we, uh, we thank you for your son, the beautiful son of God. And I think of how, as we read through the Gospels, we, we see pictures of Jesus, not only in the New Testament, in the Old Testament too, and it, it's all so wonderful, all so good, all so rich. And Lord, I do pray that we, as, as your people, as those that love you and love your word, you would just continue to minister to us. Thank you for the promises that you give us in your word. And there's so many. And I think of, uh, Paul wrote to Timothy, that even when we're faithless, Lord, you are faithful. You are faithful. Your faithfulness isn't dependent upon ours. It's in spite of ours. Help us to be faithful, Lord, please. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. If you would, open up your Bibles to the very last chapter of 1 Kings. We should be wrapping this up tonight, God willing. Jackie asked me how long we've been in this book, and honestly, I don't know. I'd have to... It's been a, been a bit. I still don't. <laughs> oh, goodness. Yes, 1 Kings 22, verses 29 through 53. And, and tonight's message is entitled, Lessons from Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, of course, the, the king of, the, of Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel. And there's a lot to be learned from his life. And we're going to spend the vast majority of, of tonight's message talking about that. We'll get to it in a few minutes. But, and then we'll wrap up by reading through verses 29 through 53. But um, we saw last time we met, After Ahab, King Ahab, king of the north, north, north kingdom of Israel, he permitted the true prophet, Micaiah, to speak. Remember, he had called 400 prophets of his own, those hitman prophets. I mean, they did what he wanted, to, they did what he wanted them to do and said what he wanted them to say, but Joseph wasn't satisfied with that. He said, there's a true prophet, and his name's Micaiah. And, of course, Ahab knew him. He knew of him. He, he listened to him before, and he says, I hate him. He doesn't tell me what I want to hear. He always gives me bad news. He gives me evil news. And, of course, when you consider the life of Ahab, you realize that, oh, what, what good is there? And not to say that there's no good in the man, but in terms of his kingship and his leadership of the nation of Israel, there, there wasn't a lot of good things that the prophet Micaiah could have said. So he allowed Micaiah to speak. He brought a message from God that Ahab would die in battle. As remember, Ahab was going to go back and, and retake the city of Ramoth-Gilead. And he enlisted the support of Jehoshaphat, who had a great army. He said, I need your help. Well, God allowed lying spirits 
to influence these 400 prophets to convince Ahab, in spite of what Micaiah said, that he would die in battle, to, to convince Ahab that it's okay, you, you go into the battle. All part of God's plan that Ahab would be judged and defeated because he forsook the commands of God. And we all forsake the commands of God, don't we? But when we studied Ahab's life, we saw that in his rebellion, and I'm not comparing any of us to Ahab's rebellion. He was considered to be an evil man. But God extended grace upon grace upon grace to Ahab. But the wonderful thing about God's grace is he gives us, God gives us an opportunity to respond to it, doesn't he? We recognize that, yeah, I'm a mess, I've sinned, but God has extended grace. And what does grace do? It prompts us and moves us to walk in the Lord's ways. To regain the, the footing that we once had when sin caused us to step back a few steps. Well, Ahab never responded. Never responded to God's grace. He just continued doing what Ahab's do. And that is to rebel against God. He took advantage of God's grace. You know, Paul the Apostle called it frustrating. He said, I will not frustrate the grace of God or take advantage of the grace of God, nor should we. So, Ahab left God with no other choice than to judge him. And last time we looked at Ahab as a picture of what's to come, rejection, rejection of the truth, which leads to nothing but devastation, destruction, and to death. And we looked ahead into the book of the Revelation about the great tribulation period and what the world will experience at that time. But as I you know, I think about this, and I think about the rebellion of Ahab and God extending grace, God has extended a lot of grace to our nation, hasn't he? God shed his grace on thee. We sing that. And I don't know if we as a nation appreciate the grace of God. I don't think that we do. Certainly, you know, as Christians, I believe that we embrace and believe and trust and love the grace of God, but many people that rebel against God, they don't recognize it at all. They don't see it for what it is, that God has withheld his judgment in favor of salvation. But I'd say that our country, we're on the wrong track. You know, we watch the truth of God, the truth of God's word being thrown to the wayside. And and let's face it, we see it in churches too, where a Bible is scarcely even opened up. It's sad to me. What? What would we do without the Bible? What would we gather for? Entertainment or fun? I want to learn about the Lord, don't you? Don't you want to grow in His grace? Don't you want to bask in His presence? Don't you want to love what He loves? He loves His Word. He esteems it greater than His own name, yet 
in many, many ways. Yes, in churches and throughout our nation, the truth of the words being cast to the wayside. God is being marginalized in our culture. God has been legislated out of governments at all levels, uninvited. And we know that there's, there's believers in, in the governments of this country, and praise God for them. But in general, the laws of the land seem to be stacked up against goodness and truth, according to God's word, don't they? The attitudes of, of people, young people that walk this earth now and have never heard the gospel. Some people don't even know the name of Jesus other than a curse word. It really saddens me. The growing trend is to create God in our image and likeness. And God says, no, that's, that's not the way it ought to be. I created man in our image and likeness. And yet, so many say, no, we want God to bow down to us rather than us bow down to him. We need to embrace the sovereign God, believing in him, trusting in God, no matter what, that he knows best. Our Father in heaven knows what's best, family, and we demonstrate trust by obedience. That's the narrow gate that leads to eternal life. And you know, it's, it's no shock to Jesus, it's no shock to God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, that we're on the track we're on. For Jesus said, narrow is the way that leads to eternal life, and few shall find it. And I don't know what, what God means by the word few. I know it's not a majority, though. That I do know. And it's very far from the majority. And he said, and broad is the gate that leads to death, and many go that way. So it's no surprise to God, it's no shock to God, yet mankind, and, and, and we have a sovereign nature too, you know, God allows us to make decisions, even decisions that stand against him. He's not an arm twister. He affords us opportunity Every single time to trust him or not to trust him, to believe in him or not to believe in him, to obey him or disobey him, to walk in his ways or not walk in his ways. And we have choices to make every single day. And unfortunately, what I've seen is our country's making a lot of bad choices. The voice of the culture is oftentimes being embraced rather than the voice of God. And so many laws and so many rules being made in violation of God's word. And we see the, the consequences of this abandoning of truth for the lies. And we look at the nation that produces the lies and we think to ourselves, how in the world is it that people don't see it for what it is? How can that be? Well, here's why. And we talked about this last time. There's a delusion. People don't want to know the truth. And we'll do anything to protect the lies and protect the lies from scrutiny. While all the while, Christianity is continually under scrutiny, isn't it? 
We stand for a truth that gets scrutinized and torn apart, picked apart. But unless eyes are opened and people continue to harden their hearts against God, he will confirm that hardness in their heart by bringing strong delusion the same way that he confirmed the hardness of the heart of Pharaoh before God sent the plagues and also during the plagues. Exodus 7.13 says, And he hardened Pharaoh's heart, that he hearkened not unto them as the Lord had said. It's not that God gave Pharaoh a hard heart. The hard heart was there. And God confirmed what was already there. He knew it was there. And Pharaoh continued in his rebellion. 2 Thessalonians 2.11 says, And for this cause, what cause? Well, man's rebellion, man's hard heart. God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. Well, and, and here we are in 2024. There's a lot of lies that are being embraced. But you know what? Christianity, it continues to prosper here and throughout the world in spite of all of that. You know, no matter how much the Word of God is attacked Christianity is attacked and misrepresented no matter how much wealth, and there's a lot of wealth that stands against the Word of God, no matter how much manpower that stands against the truth, no matter how much propaganda the gospel, how much propaganda is out there, the gospel of Jesus Christ never changes and it continues to prosper. Listen, people are getting saved every day all, all over the world in spite of all of this. God is amazing. He hasn't washed his hands of mankind. God desires to save lives. And you know what else, family? He has the power to do so. And God's work will never be defeated. Never, ever be defeated. Jesus' death on the cross was a victory over sin and death. And praise God. Praise God for that. Praise God for the strength of the gospel. The strength of the word of God, the truth of God, the power of God's Holy Spirit. Listen, family, all that reigns supreme while all this other stuff is going on underneath it. And it's a testimony of the truth of the gospel. Been under attack for millennia and what it, it, it still prospers wherever God sends it. He says, my word will not return to me void. I guess that's where we are in society now. I'm not exactly sure how that, well, it does relate to Ahab and his rebellion, but it's, it just saddens me to see what's taking place. But I'm trusting God. Are you, you trusting God in all this? None of it's easy. None of it's easy to, to sense and to experience. We can, we can feel the pain. But at the same time, we know that we have a God in heaven that loves us, that cares about us. He cares for us. He continues to provide for, for our every need. He, he provides mercy for you and for me every single day without fail. We mess up. His grace abounds. He gives us opportunity to repent from our sin, confess it before him, be restored into fellowship with God. It, you know, it doesn't get any better than that. Well, Ahab didn't want anything to do with that. 
And what we've seen in Ahab's life is a lot of deception, a lot of evil, a lot of drama. You know, as Ahab sat on his throne in the north and Jehoshaphat sat on his throne in the south, they got together. But what we see is, is quite shocking, and that is that Jehoshaphat, in spite of the word of God through the prophet Micaiah, he goes into battle joined together with Ahab. Despite his unsettled heart regarding Ahab, and in spite of the truth that the prophet shared, he agrees to join the battle with this most unsavory partner. In my Bible, I have a study Bible, and in the introduction to 1 Kings, it lists all the kings of both Israel and Judah in the timeline. And of the 20 northern kings of Israel, I went through them. There is not one good king. Not a one. And of the 21 kings of the southern kingdom, there are eight. Eight's better than none. There are eight good kings. Each of them brought revival to the land. Each of them loved the Lord. They were good kings in their rule. But I had to asterisk all of their names because something went wrong with each of them. Didn't disqualify them as a good king, but something went wrong. Each of them failed in some significant way that marred their witness. Jehoshaphat was one of those eight good kings, one of the best kings that Judah ever had. So I'd like to take a look at Jehoshaphat because there's a few lessons from his life I, th I think we ought to learn. The first thing we can learn about Jehoshaphat is the importance of not entering into ungodly alliances. Here's a man, a king, that got himself into trouble because he aligned himself with wicked people in accomplishing various things. I mean, if you looked at Jehoshaphat and took a survey on the road, what do you think of him? Hey, he's a great guy. He was a great guy, but he was careless with who he aligned himself with, which in turn aligned the entire nation of Judah into peril. You see, God will not bless ungodly alliances, even if a man is as good and as great as Jehoshaphat. A great king, but united himself with those that had God's judgment hanging over their heads. That's Ahab. Ahab, in his reign, was ripe for judgment. And Jehoshaphat says, well, I'm going to join forces with you. Well, God has an instruction to us and an exhortation for us. In 2 Corinthians 6.14, he said, Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? And in 2 Corinthians 6.17, God says, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. He said, Be ye separate. And the word separate means God appoints us to something. He creates for us a boundary that we're to abide within. He calls us to live a separated life in this world, and it's a standard of holiness 
that almost always goes against popular behavior and conduct and practice. And to make a stand against those things that you know is displeasing to God is something we, we must do. It means to take a stand in obedience to God's word in support of God's command, even when the majority thinks you're crazy. And let me, I have a news flash for you. The majority thinks we're crazy. We do crazy things, of course, but mostly we're crazy about Jesus, aren't we? It doesn't sit right with some. To be separate means that I will walk in, in holiness against the stream of ungodliness. I choose to please God and live life in His way. It's a call in, in, to live a different kind of life from the unbelieving world. Now, the interesting thing to notice that it was Ahab, again, an evil king, who approached Jehoshaphat, a good king, and he invited Jehoshaphat to join him in the battle. Well, you wonder why is that? Is it strictly because of his large army? I think it's something to do with it. But I also think of this, that you and I as Christians as we just simply obey the word of God, there is a, a certain quality of life that's being produced, isn't, isn't there? I mean, as we walk with God, as we obey his word, it produces something in us, a, a life that's pleasing to God, different than from the world. And those in the world see that, I mean, they scratch their heads, take note, and what they do with it is, is up to them. But certainly, the thing that we find is that there's uh, this, this quality of spiritual life, but not only that, but there's a practical and a material life that's produced by our walking with the Lord. And that blessing, because of our obedience, now we don't obey God just to receive blessings, but that's the natural outflow of being obedient to God. He blesses obedience. That blessing upon our lives can make our lives attractive even to those that stand against the Lord. Have you seen that in your life? I mean, they may want the same blessings or peace that, that you have. They may want the same confidence in difficulties that you have. But we know that our confidence is, in, is someone greater than us. It's in God. They may want the same faith and trust that you have in times of difficulty. When you're going through a struggle, and it's not crushing you, it's not pleasant, of course, but it's not crushing you. You're trusting God in it. You're praising God in it. And people see that. And they're, maybe they're thinking things like this. Well, I want that. That seems attractive to me. I want to access those blessings. And sometimes they want to access those blessings through association with us. That's why sometimes you get a phone call or a text message, or some message that, that you get from somebody who doesn't know the Lord, and maybe they say, hey, listen, I'm going through this. Would you pray for me? Well, yeah. And you can pray too, you know. And No, no, you, you pray for me. I'd be happy to pray for you. What, what is that? They, they see something. They see a quality in your life and the blessings that you have as a result of that quality of life because you're walking with Jesus and say, hey, I want that too. Or maybe they'll seek your opinion on, on something that you can answer with the word of God and they may not even know it's the word of God. 
You begin to speak truth to them because God has given us the truth to share. And they gee, I've never thought of that. But we have to be aware of this. You know, the excuse me, the, the effect that we have, the impact on people that may not even understand why they attach themselves to you in some way. And that's what Ahab did with Jehoshaphat. He saw this man, a godly man, not a perfect man, but a godly man, and said, hey, I want to join with you. So we need to be aware of that in our life, you know, as, as we are the salt of the earth, as we are. In fact, it's interesting because when I use the word salt of the earth, there's a person I ran into, um, I don't know, six months ago or so, somebody I had met a long time ago. I think, I don't know if I played hockey with him or something, and he knew my wife too, and we got to talking. He knew Jackie, and Jackie wasn't there at this conversation. He goes, you know what? She's the salt of the earth. Praise God. He's, this guy wasn't a believer. Maybe he is now. I don't know. But it's that kind of thing. It's those kind of observations that people make that there's something different about you. And it's a good thing. We need to be different. Not crazy different, just different in a godly way. Well, the second thing we can learn from the life of Jehoshaphat and that is the importance of learning to say no to people, even when it's difficult. Jehoshaphat was a king, a good king, a nice guy, who had a difficult time saying no to people. You read of him in a section of Scripture. We're going to read this later, but I want to read verse 43 right now. It says, And he walked in all the ways of Asa, his father. He turned not aside from it, and that's a good thing doing that which was right in the eyes of the Lord. And then this, this conjunction here, nevertheless, the high places were not taken away. And the people offered and burnt incense yet in the high places, the places of pagan worship. He didn't take them down. Why? Maybe he couldn't say no. A man pleaser. And we see that the influence of the pagan people around him had a very strong voice that he listened to. Maybe he turned the other way. He would not take down their groves. Before he died, he entered into an alliance with a guy named Ahaziah. It's also in 1 Kings 22, but I want to read from 2 Chronicles 20. It gives us a little bit more information Verse 35 through 37, after this did Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, join himself with Ahaziah, king of Israel. Now listen to this, who did very wickedly. He did very wickedly. And he joined himself with him to make ships to go to Tarshish. Hey, let's, let's create a shipping company. Let's create some ships. You can help me, I can help you. Yeah, yeah, I'm all in. They made ships in Ezion Geber. Then Eliezer, the son of Dodava of Marashah, these are some tough names, prophesied against Jehoshaphat, saying, Because thou hast joined himself with Ahaziah, the Lord hath broken thy works, and the ships were broken, that they were not able to go to Tarshish. What did God do? He stepped in. He said, No, 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 I'm not going to allow this. However, Jehoshaphat, he couldn't say no to this guy. It seems like a good business plan, a solid business plan that you go, hey, let's be partners. 
What did God say? Be not unequally yoked with unbelievers. And we, we certainly recognize that it that, that speaks of the marriage covenant, but it speaks of many, many other relationships in life too. Business partnerships, that's one, for sure. You see, every one of us as Christians, we need to say no at times, even though it can be very difficult, even though it goes against our nature. It's not easy, is it? Sometimes it's easy in a text message. <laughs> oh, I'm brave on a text message or on social media. But how about this? Face-to-face, a little bit more challenging, right? It's not easy to say no. If Jehoshaphat was saved, he was a pastor of a church, he would have been an uncompromising, strong preacher behind the pulpit. But when it came to dealing with people one-on-one, you'd be able to persuade him into agreeing with you, even if it meant compromise. And there's a lot of people that, that struggle to say no face-to-face and personally. It's not easy. I, it's not easy for me. It's probably, I can't imagine it's easy for anybody, and you enjoy doing it. It's easier for some than others. But sometimes, guys like Jehoshaphat, nice guys, need to say no to people and stand for what's right. Isn't it easier to take a stand for truth inside the church (laughs) rather than on the outside where your stance rubs people the wrong way? It's pretty easy here. We love each other. We trust one another. We study the Word of God together. We love the same Lord. Someone comes up with some idea, and sometimes we just know it's, we have to pray it's not of the Lord, and we say, we can't do that, no. Okay, we move on. On the outside, it doesn't work that way all the time, does it? Maybe you're faced with someone that doesn't know the Lord and rejects the Lord in his ways and is trying to gain influence in your life. People can be very, very persuasive, can't they? People know how to draw on your emotions. So we need to be very careful and weigh everything against the Word of God and then stand on that Word without wavering and, then, and pray for courage. And sometimes it takes courage to stand up and say no, doesn't it? God, I need your strength in this. I know it's right. I want to do what's right. But God, I need help to do it. And I'm so thankful that the Scriptures tell me that, that God is our present help in trouble. Present help, present tense, always. That God gives wisdom when we ask for it. That gives us grace when we need it, which is continually. Well, Jehoshaphat needed to learn to say no, and so do we at times. The third thing, the third lesson, and similar to the last one, we can learn. We need to recognize and resist manipulation, attempts that are being made to manipulate us. Jehoshaphat is the kind of leader that's susceptible to that. This whole thing with with Ahab, his history with Ahab, was all a setup. Setting Jehoshaphat on a platform, putting him in his robes and on a throne, in a public place next to the throne of Ahab, in a public place. There they are, a big crowd. People are gathered all around. We want to hear what these guys have to say. And then they bring in these 400 prophets. 
And then, of course, Ahab pacified Jehoshaphat by inviting Micaiah, the true prophet. And listen, Ahab had no intention of listening to him. Manipulation after manipulation after manipulation made it very difficult for Jehoshaphat to say no to Ahab. Ahab worked him, didn't he? He worked him. And we need to be careful, too, to recognize manipulation and learn to say no. And if you're in that situation, it's really an attempt on a person's part to take away your freedom to say no to them. That's how manipulation works. Through manipulation, maybe back in the corner where you go, oh, gee, I really have no, I have no choice but to, to agree with this. When all the while you say, uh, your heart is troubled. And you recognize sometimes, I'm being used, I'm being manipulated. And I don't know what to do about it. That's where the word N-O comes in. But again, it's not easy. Recognize it for what it is. Pray about it. Ask God and seek his wisdom and direction because he knows every thought, every motive that people have. And if you've got a check in your spirit about it, it's time to say, I got to pray about this. I really need to seek the Lord. The fourth thing that we can learn from Jehoshaphat is this. We are not to go against our peace, the peace that we have in our heart, the peace of Christ that passes understanding. We can't go against that, stand against it. We need to trust it. You see, Jehoshaphat knew in his spirit that, that this alliance with Ahab was wrong. Remember, it didn't sit right with him when the prophets began to speak and he first agreed, and then he came back and said, well, I think we need to talk to Micaiah. It didn't sit right with him. Again, the importance of bringing it to the Lord in prayer, and often the Lord leads us, we know, by his peace. Do you know that, that you can be and are led by the peace of Christ? It's a real thing, and it's a wonderful thing. Isaiah 57, verse 2 says, And he shall enter into peace. They shall rest in their beds, each one walking in his uprightness. Isn't that a wonderful thing to know? We enter into his peace, and guess what? You can put your head on a pillow and go to sleep. Because you've entered into his peace. As a spirit-filled temple of God's Holy Spirit, he's going to stir your heart if there's something that's not of him. Well, how do I know that? Well, Romans 8.16 tells us this, that the Spirit, speaking of the Spirit of God, bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. You see, His Spirit in us bears witness with our spirit and either comes at a complete agreement with it or there's some kind of separation. There's something wrong. I'm so grateful that the Holy Spirit dwells in me and He speaks to my heart and I can have peace when there is peace, the peace of Christ. And I won't have peace if it's not of the Lord. There's that spiritual connection that comes into agreement or gives a warning because our peace will flee. We can't ignore that. Colossians 3.15, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts. And that word rule seems like a simple word, and it is, but the word means to act as an empire. 
umpire, not empire, umpire, you know, the guy behind the plate making the calls. Let the peace of God act as an umpire in your life. Next time you watch a baseball game, watch the umpires. They control the show. They call the shots and balls and strikes and other things too. In, in the word of God, the peace of God is to act as an umpire in our life directing us. God stirred Jehoshaphat's peace. Jehoshaphat didn't have peace. But what did he do? He said, oh well. He disregarded it. If we need never learn anything else about this, remember this, never go against your peace. Never. It's God's warning. It's God's indicator that something isn't quite right. Trust it. The fifth and last thing we can learn from the life of Jehoshaphat, don't be afraid to admit when you're wrong. Jehoshaphat would admit he was wrong. Have any of you ever made a wrong decision? You don't have to raise your hand. I'm gonna. If I wish I had a thousand hands, I could raise them. Yeah, we all make them. And try as we might, we make wrong decisions. We, because we are imperfect. But, but you know what, family? I am so grateful that God allows U-turns. And he encourages U-turns. Ezekiel 33, verse 11 to say unto them, as I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from evil ways, for why will ye die, O house of Israel? Yeah, we make a mistake, we make a bad decision. God shows us. You don't have his peace. What do we do? Bring it to the Lord. Bring it to him. Ask him to forgive you and, and repent from it. And then ask him to set your feet in the right direction. God's good at that. He allows U-turns and encourages them. Yes, we do make wrong decisions. But you know what? There's, there's one decision that's always right. Always right. And that's a decision for Jesus Christ. That is the right decision, the most right decision. And it's always a right decision. When you've made that choice for Jesus, it was the best decision that you ever made in your entire life and the best one you will ever make because you've placed your trust in him, the one who is faithful, the one who is trustworthy, the one who is loving, the one that cares, the one that responds to your cries. He's so good. Well, I'd like to read through from verse 29. I promised we'd wrap this up tonight. Uh, verse 29 through uh, 53. In verse 29, it says this. So the king of Israel, that's Ahab, and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went up to Ramoth-Gilead. Went up, they went to go to battle together. And the king of Israel said unto Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself and enter into the battle. But put thou on thy robes. And the king of Israel disguised himself and went into the battle. He said, Jehoshaphat, listen, I'm just going to go into the battle as just an ordinary soldier. 
You put the kingly robes on so they don't recognize me as king. Now, two possible motives. One, that Ahab was just a very brave man and wanted to fight in a battle, but probably not. Second, he really did believe the prophecy of Micaiah that he would die in a battle and said to Jehoshaphat, you just wear the robes so they kill you instead of me. Verse 31, but the king of Syria commanded his 30 and two captains that had rule over his chariots, saying, fight neither with small nor great, save or accept only with the king of Israel. He said, you don't need to fight a big battle, just go after the king of Israel. That's all I want. It's like he had a bounty on his head. And it came to pass, verse 32, when the captains of the chariots saw Jehoshaphat, that they said, surely it is the king of Israel. And they turned aside to fight against him, and Jehoshaphat cried out. Not quite sure what that meant, but he cried out. Hopefully he cried out to the Lord. Maybe he recognized that I'm in deep trouble here and just, help! And they realized that that can't possibly be Ahab. Ahab never prays. It's got to be Jehoshaphat. So the Syrians, they recognize this isn't the man. And it came to pass, verse 33, when the captains of the chariots perceived that it was not the king of Israel, they turned back from pursuing him. And a certain man drew a bow at a venture. In other words, not aiming anywhere. He just aimed this arrow up in the air and smote the king of Israel between the joints of the harness or his armor. Wherefore, he said unto the driver of his chariot, Turn thy hand and carry me out of the host, for I am wounded. Now think about this for a minute. God said Ahab would die in battle. And, you know, we picture that, well, maybe, you know, in advance of this, this verse, you think, well, he's in battle. I mean, they go after him, they engage him, and they, they kill him with swords or whatever they do. But no, no, here's this guy with a, with a bow and arrow, and he goes, clink. God directed that arrow where right between the joints of Ahab's armor. God said he's going to die in battle. God took him out. God's sovereign will was being accomplished. So he said, carry me out of the host. I'm wounded and the battle increased, verse 35, that day. And the king was propped up in his chariot against the Syrians and died at even time, even time, evening time. And the blood ran out of the wound into the midst of the chariot. And there went a proclamation throughout the host about the going down of the sun, saying, every man to his city and every man to his own country. Remember back in verse 17, you may not remember the verse, but remember when it was prophesied that Ahab would be killed in battle and the, the soldiers would be as soldiers without a leader, without a shepherd, and they would flee back to their own homes. That's exactly what happened here, just as was prophesied. They went back to their own country without a leader. So verse 37, the king died and was brought to Samaria, and they buried the king in Samaria. And one washed the chariot in the pool of Samaria, and the dogs licked up his blood, and they washed his armor according unto the word of the Lord, which he spake. Remember, just as Elijah the prophet had prophesied, this is back in chapter 21, he said the dogs are going to lick up his blood. God doesn't make mistakes, does he? That's exactly what happened here. Now the rest of the acts, verse 39, the rest of the acts of Ahab and all that he did and the ivory house, it wasn't really an ivory house, it was, it's figurative, just a very posh, beautiful place he lived in, 
which he made in all the cities that he built, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel? So Ahab slept with his fathers, and Ahaziah his son reigned in his stead. In Jehoshaphat, verse 41, the son of Asa began to reign in, over Judah in the fourth year of Ahab, king of Israel. Jehoshaphat was 30 and 5 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 20 and 5 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Azubah, the daughter of Shelhi. And he walked in all the ways of Asa, his father. He turned not aside from it, doing that which was right in the eyes of the Lord. And again, this is verse we touched on earlier. Nevertheless, the high places were not taken away, for the people offered and burnt incense yet in the high places. And Jehoshaphat made peace with the king of Israel. And there it is again, another unholy alliance. Now the rest of the acts of Jehoshaphat and his might that he showed and how he warred, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? In the remnants of the Sodomites, which remained in the days of his father Asa, he took out of the land. Excuse me, there was then no king in Edom, a deputy was king. Jehoshaphat made ships of Tarshish to go to Ophir for gold, but they went not, for the ships were broken at Ezion Geber. And then Ahaziah the son of Ahab said unto Jehoshaphat, Let my servants go with thy servants in the ships. But Jehoshaphat would not. I think he learned a lesson. That was uh, Ahab's son. Not much better than his father. He said, let's, let's do this together. Jehoshaphat says, no, not happening. Jehoshaphat slept with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David, his father. And Jehoram, his son, reigned in his stead. Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, began to reign over Israel and Samaria the 17th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and reigned two years over Israel. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the ways of his father, who is Ahab, and in the way of his mother, Jezebel, bad combo, and in the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin. That was Nebat's claim to fame. He caused Israel to sin, if you recall. For he served Baal and worshipped him and provoked to anger the Lord of Israel according to all that his father had done. And that concludes the book of First Kings. Well, the story, of course, doesn't end there. It would continue on to Second Kings and then First and Second Chronicles. But for tonight, that's, that's what we have. Lessons from the life of Jehoshaphat. And I pray that we can each apply some of that to our lives Again, Jehoshaphat, a good king, a godly king, yet there were chinks in his armor, just like there is ours. And you know, the Bible tells us that the, the things that were written aforetime, like back then, are for our learning. And we have a lot to learn from Jehoshaphat, his victories, his mistakes, and God's grace. And we thank you, Father, for your great grace. We thank you for the word of God, and we pray that we would always, always, always cherish this precious word, embrace it for what it is, and that is the absolute truth that came from your lips to our hearts, Lord. May you continue to strengthen us for your purposes in the dark days in which we live, Lord. We know that, that you understand all of this much, 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 much greater than we do, but we can trust in you, that you're a God who sees the beginning from the end and everything in between, and we can trust you with our very lives. Thank you for the breath you've given us today. May we use this breath to bring you praise and glory now as we sing. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.